Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Hypnodojo, a place of learning for practitioners and students of hypnotherapy. Get your black belt in all things hypnotherapy as we whip into shape your mindset, mastery, and marketing. Relax, enjoy, learn. Here's your sensei, Linda Campbell. Hi, I'm Linda, and thank you for tuning in to the Hypno Dojo. Today's show is the third in a series that I've been doing on helping a client who has post-traumatic stress disorder using hypnotherapy. So show number one, we went over what post-traumatic stress disorder looks like, how does it manifest, what are some of the symptoms, what are some of the types of events that will cause it. So if you missed that show, go back and find it. We're not going to be covering that material again in this one. Last show, I gave seven uh, things that we could do uh, to help the client who's got post-traumatic stress. So again, there's a whole bunch more I'm going to give you in this episode. So if you missed last episode, there's a number of different techniques and things that we can do. Go back and have a listen to that one. So I'm just going to jump right into the material. So item number eight, or the first one for this show, one of the things that we're going to be doing with a client who's got post-traumatic stress is help them to manage their emotions. As you can well imagine, there are a lot of different emotions that come up for a person who's had a potentially life-threatening experience or has witnessed one. For some people, it might be guilt. Survivor's guilt is really common. Uh, You know, somebody who's in a car accident and the person that they were with is killed. Or, you know, somebody who during war had to kill other people. They may have a sense of, you know, guilt that they survived or that they had to do something where other people were injured, where other people did not survive. And so helping people to work through that survivor's guilt There may be a sense of responsibility for whatever occurred, and this may or may not actually be an accurate sense of responsibility. So, for example, in the case of war, somebody who's given orders by somebody else is following what somebody else is asking them to do, and yet they could have this sense of responsibility as though it's all on them what occurred. So we've got to look back at, you know, where where does the responsibility go to? Who is actually responsible um, for the most part when it comes to this trauma or whatever has occurred? Of course, anger is really common in the case of somebody with PTSD. So a lot of, you know, why would this happen? How could this happen to me? Um, Being angry at the universe, being angry at God, being angry at life, being angry at another person who perpetuated some kind of a violent act. So there can be a lot of anger. And, of course, along with anger often comes the feeling of powerlessness. You know, I could even be angry at myself because I was powerless to do anything to change the outcome or the circumstances that occurred. So anger, guilt, Uh, shock, fear, when our life is going nice and smoothly and then from out of the blue some horrific thing occurs on a subconscious level or even consciously we can be waiting for the next bad thing to happen. So this shock that, you know, our what we thought was our safe, predictable life is not and fear of something else occurring 
are really common themes with somebody who's been through a life-threatening event. And then, of course, grief. There can be a lot of loss that occurs and a lot of different types of losses. There can be physical loss, like perhaps this person has suffered an injury. Perhaps they've lost somebody to the trauma. But there could also be the loss of things like your innocence, you know, somebody who's had sexual trauma. Again, they they lose their innocence, their naivety, their ability to look at other people as, you know, safe and supportive. So there's a lot of emotional, psychological losses as well as there are the physical ones. And so working with people to deal with those emotions, whether it's normalizing the emotion, helping them to recognize that this is the way we're supposed to feel when these things happen, whether it's helping them to mitigate the emotion so that they're able to handle whatever else they need to do in their lives. If we're constantly breaking down because we've become anxious or fearful or we're so angry that we're going off on everybody around us, then those emotions, which are normal in that kind of a circumstance, are bleeding out into other areas of your life and causing problems. So being able to deal with the emotion around the event without it overtaking you, without it becoming something that you're playing out with other people. We may be teaching the client techniques for managing emotional arousal. Uh, So sometimes a client who has had a traumatic event has a lot of hypervigilance. They may be having panic attacks. They may always feel on edge. So depending on where the client is in their healing and their processing of the event when they come to see you, you may be helping them to manage panic attacks so that they can just get through their day first off. So you want to take an assessment of where they are and what their major symptoms are, what are they dealing with, because although in the first uh, session when I talked about PTSD and all the different ways it manifests, not all of them will be present with every client. Of course, people will be at different points in their healing when they come to see you. But if you've got somebody who the trauma is quite fresh or they've not processed it a lot, they may, again, be experiencing things like panic attacks or hypervigilance, in which case your early work with them might just be giving them tools to help them to deal with panic so that they can do things like go to school or deal with their kids or maintain a job or just get out of bed in the morning. So in that case, we may be teaching them some breath work. Of course, how we breathe and how we feel is correlated. When we're anxious, nervous, we breathe shallowly. When we're calm and relaxed, we breathe deeply. Uh, When a person is in hypervigilant state, they tend to be breathing shallowly, so just training them, and it's easier to get the message through in hypnosis where it'll stick, teaching them to breathe deeply, to do belly breathing, uh, to, to, you know, really feel and immerse themselves in their breath in hypnosis as a way of calming them and then helping them to be able to recreate that same type of breathing in order to calm the mind. Mind and body are linked. Sometimes people feel like they can't control what's going on for them mentally or emotionally, but one way we can influence what's going on mentally or emotionally is by working on the breathing, working on the body first. We may be teaching them some mindfulness techniques. So how to let a thought go by or a feeling go by without feeling like you need to engage in it, without letting it escalate, without getting carried away by it, recognizing that your thoughts are only thoughts, that a thought can't hurt you. Um, Because again, with PTSD, there's a lot of, like, um, you know, flashbacks, remembering the thing is very, it's like it's very present, even though it's occurred in the past and so helping the person to not be 
overcome by distressing thoughts, but be able to create some distance from them. And so that would be technique number eight, or technique number eight, area number eight that we would work in, managing, helping the client to manage their emotions. The next thing that we would be working on, and these are in no particular order, again, it depends on what your client's needs are at the time they come to see you. We may also be doing some cognitive restructuring, so helping them to think differently. So we have a tendency as human beings to focus on what went wrong instead of what's going right. At any point in your life, there's probably more going right than there is going wrong. So a client who you know drives for hundreds of thousands of kilometers or many, 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 many hours in their vehicle and then has one fender bender suddenly develops this belief that driving is unsafe. Well, what about all that time you spent in a vehicle where you were perfectly safe, right? So we get a report card with four A's and one D. We focus on the D. We focus on what went wrong. And this is what happens when a traumatic event occurs. Instead of remembering all of the safe, pleasant, peaceful, joyful times leading up to or after the event, we're fixating on the event. So there's a lot of different things that I do with a client to help them to shift where they're putting their focus. I use the analogy of a game of I spy. And I may have mentioned this on air before, but I use it a lot. So why not repeat it so it really sticks? I, while they're in hypnosis, will say to my client, if you were to look around this room for things that are black, you would notice them everywhere. My filing cabinet, my stereo, my fan, my chair, my garbage can. When you're looking for black things, when you're playing that particular game of I spy, the black things stand out. And while you're noticing the black things, you're not noticing the white things or the red things or the purple things or the blue things. And this room has those things in it as well, but we tend to fixate on and to locate out there in the world what it is we're looking for, what we're expecting to find. And so when a person has a life-threatening event, they develop a belief that the world is unsafe, and then they begin looking around them for all of the potential danger zones, all of the things that could go wrong, all of the lack of safety that they have. And what we really want to do is shift that thinking. We want to get the client playing a different game of I spy. And so even just challenging the client to pay attention to what's going right, what's working in their lives right now, where do they have safety and support and predictability and security, uh, where can they see that that things are working, that things are good. So trying to get them to see a broader perspective instead of fixating on the event. Uh, one of the things that I will have the client do is actually think about all of the – so, for example, if they've had a traumatic event that involved another person, they might feel like people are dangerous, the world is dangerous. So I might have them think of all the people that they encounter one way or another over the course of a given day. This is assuming this is not a client who's holed up in their house because they're so anxious. So, for example, just getting on the bus to go to work in the morning or passing people on the street when you're walking or the people in the cars next to you when you're driving on the road, the person who makes you coffee in a coffee shop or bags your groceries in the grocery stores. We are encountering, whether we speak to them or not, doesn't matter, many people, hundreds of people. I've never actually counted. That might be an interesting activity. Count how many people you come in contact with. And yet, these people are not dangerous. They don't have any negative impact on your life. In fact, some of them have a really positive impact. 
they made you that delicious coffee. They put your bags and your groceries in a bag so you didn't have to carry them in your arms. That would be ridiculous. You didn't have to pack them yourself. All those people in their cars who stayed in their own lane, they didn't drive into you. All those people on the bus who probably sat there staring at their phone ignoring you. So these people are not posing danger. And in fact, some of them are actually positive. Some of them are helpful. Some of them are making your life a little bit easier. So I'm getting them to really look around them at what they can appreciate, what they're grateful for, what's beautiful, what's working out for them, where are their safe people and supports in their life. So we're shifting that um, perspective. And then, of course, cognitive restructuring also involves reframing what they're thinking. So it's not the events that occur in our lives that cause us our problems. I know. (laughs) That's a bit of a shocker. It's not the events. It's how we perceive the events. It's the meaning we attach to them. It's what we tell ourselves about them. And this is good news because we can change what it is we tell ourselves. And one of the analogies that I'll use with my clients in hypnosis is somebody losing a job. Person number one might lose a job and go, oh, no, this sucks. I'm going to end up on the street. I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. I'm such a loser. How could I let this happen? This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. With that way of thinking, because our thoughts influence how we feel emotionally and physically, every thought creates a chemical cascade in the body, that person's going to feel depressed. They're going to feel defeated and deflated. They're not going to have a whole lot of energy to change their situation. On the other hand, person number two may have the same event occur. They, too, have lost a job, but they look at it a little bit differently. Maybe they say, okay, this isn't ideal, this isn't what I wanted, but I'm going to trust that if I put a resume together and I do some research and I get online and I start talking to people that I'll find something. I've got some useful skills. Surely I'll find something else. With this way of thinking, whole different chemical cascade in the body, this person's going to have way more energy and, and drive to change their situation. Person number three may have the same event occur. However, <laughs> their thinking is different even still. They might think, all right, what if this is a blessing in disguise? What if I was getting a little complacent and this is the powers that be moving me on to something more fulfilling? Maybe I'll make more money. Maybe I'll meet interesting people. Uh, Maybe I'll get to travel. Maybe I'll develop some new skills. Maybe this is actually an opportunity for me to level up and to improve my situation. With this way of thinking, the person's going to have way more enthusiasm and drive and energy to change their situation. So it's not about telling ourselves something didn't happen. Nobody in these scenarios is going, nothing happened, I still have a job, because that's just crazy. Um, But people think that we have to just think the first thought that came to mind. We don't. We can entertain different thoughts. We can walk around a situation and look at it from some different angles and find a thought that fits better, find a thought that feels better. And so we may be challenging the client to uh, review how they look at the event that occurred and see if they can find a better feeling perspective, see if they can find a way of putting it into perspective for themselves that doesn't create so much distress. Now, again, this is probably better for a client who's a little further out, who has processed the event a little bit, not somebody who's just gone through it. You know, hard to take somebody who's just fresh out of a traumatic event and say, look for a good perspective, because that just makes you sound like you have no understanding of what they're going through. 
But with somebody who's had a bit of a chance to uh, put it into perspective for themselves, often the work that we're doing in hypnosis is just feeding that new perspective back into their subconscious so that they have that new perspective all through their mind. It's not just something that they can only hang on to fleetingly. And so that's number nine, cognitive restructuring. Another thing that we would work on is helping the client to understand their own response in the event. So, again, clients can have a lot of guilt or shame or self-blame. They can be thinking, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. Why didn't I do this? I talked last time about uh, fight, flight, and freeze. Normally, when we have some kind of threatening situation, we will go into fight or flight. We will be preparing to flee from the room or fight the attacker, whatever it happens to be. But if we cannot flee and we cannot fight, the third option that we will choose is to freeze. And often, when a client freezes in a threatening situation, afterwards they feel guilty, they feel concerned, they feel shameful. Why could I not mobilize myself? Why could I not protect myself? So we want to help a person to understand their response, uh, particularly if their response was to freeze. We also want to help the client to understand decisions they may have made. I get so many clients who come in to work on regret, You know, they're removed from a situation, some time has gone by, they're able to look back on it, and they tend to go, why did I do what I did? Why didn't I make a different choice? They kind of beat themselves up for, you know, what occurred and their reaction. And so often I'm trying to work with the client to have compassion for where they were at the time, to really understand the the position they were in it's one thing to be removed from a situation and be able to look back when we're calmer and more grounded and we're safe and figure out what we should have done in that situation it's quite another thing to be in a distressing situation and uh, know what to do in the moment we pick the best option that's available to us nobody wakes up and goes today i'm really going to screw things up i'm going to make some bad choices at least nobody who's not a psychopath. Uh, People do the best they can with what they have available, and it's important to remember the state that we're in at the time. So some of the questions that I might pose. Now, these I... um, I'm modifying from a post-traumatic stress source book that I got, but I will help the client to process how they handle the situation by asking them some of these questions in hypnosis. So I'm going to ask... um, What were your choices at the time? Afterwards, a person might think, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. But was that choice available to them? Were they aware that there was a different option? So what were their choices? Were any of the choices that they had good choices? Sometimes we don't have a really good choice to make. It's not like there's a clear, this is the right decision and that's the wrong decision. Sometimes they all look bad. So asking if they had any good choices. Um, Ask them if they've ever been in that situation before. It's one thing after we've processed it to go, oh, I should have done this or that. But when we're in a situation for the first time and we're under duress, we may not um, make the same choice as we would if we were back in that situation again. Um, Were they clearly aware of all of the outcomes of the choice that they made? Uh, Were they aware clearly of the cost of any choices that they made? Did they lack any information that would have helped them to make a wiser choice? So sometimes afterwards we get more information that shines light on what was going on and and we thereby could make a different choice with that new information. But in the moment, we didn't have that information. 
did they have time to fully weigh all of the choices, to consider all the possibilities? When a traumatic event occurs, typically it is a sudden thing where we have to respond quickly. We don't have time to stop and, you know, do a little brainstorming session. I have 15 different options that I can make in this situation. I'm going to do a pros and cons list of each option. No, we just kick into action. So having them consider if they had time to weigh out all of the options and weigh out all of the choices. Were there any mitigating factors? So again, we forget the position we were in at the exact time, and there can be all kinds of different things that influence our ability to make a decision. Fatigue, hunger, drugs, alcohol, chaos and confuse, confusion, not having support from friends or family, uh, lack of maturity or life experience, nobody to ask for advice. So again, I really want the client to take into consideration everything that was going on all, at the time that factors in. I want to ask them uh, if they, the outcome had the, sorry, they sometimes have an intent when they choose, a, when they make a decision. I want to ask them if the outcome was what it was they intended. So when you do something with good intention, I'm going to do this because it's going to solve the situation, but then you do something and it actually makes the situation worse. It's important to remember the intention that you had at the time. You didn't intend to cause more problems. You intended to make things better. So giving yourself credit for having acted with good intention. So those are some of the questions that I might ask. Really, I'm just getting the client to think about the position they were in at the time, what they were grappling with at the time, the limited options that they had, so that they can look at themselves with more compassion instead of with judgment. Uh, Post-traumatic stress, if the event was a childhood trauma or a childhood event, we might do, be doing some inner child work. Often what I'm doing here is I'm having the client imagine a timeline of them, their lives. I'm having them locate the spot in the timeline where the event took place. I'm having them travel back along the timeline without going into the specific location or event, but just finding that spot on their own timeline finding their younger self at the time, the, the version of them that went through the event, bringing that person up to their current point on the timeline, so in a sense rescuing that person from the event. And then I'm helping them to give that wounded child or the fearful child, whatever it is, whatever the child needed. So what this looks like is basically asking my client to, inside their own minds, have a conversation with themselves at a younger age, the person who was going through the event, Find out what that person needed at the time and then find some way to give it to them. The subconscious doesn't know the difference between something imagined and something that's actually taking place. So oftentimes when we experience a trauma, it's traumatic because of how it was handled. We didn't get support. We didn't get information. We weren't helped through something that happened. We were left to deal with it and try to process it on our own. Maybe it happened at a point in our lives, again, we're talking a childhood event, where we didn't have the, the skills or the life experience to, to process it, let alone deal with it. So being able to give the child what was missing at the time creates a sense of closure. So often I'm doing some inner child work, supporting the wounded child, giving that inner child what they need. Another thing that we might do is help the client to uh, feel more capable of dealing with threatening situations by having them imagine those situations and them handling them in hypnosis. 
So again, when a traumatic event occurs, often our life view changes. We go from the world is safe, I'm happy, nothing bad ever happens to, oh my God, bad things can happen in any given moment. Now you can't put the client into hypnosis and say, bad things never happen because it's a lie. (laughs) That client knows very well that bad things happen. So you can't just fluff them up by telling them, oh, everything's going to be okay, nothing bad, what are the odds anything bad's going to happen again? What you can do, though, is help them to prepare mentally if there were something that came up, how would you deal with it? Again, the subconscious doesn't know the difference between something real and something imagined. So if you can take the client through, all right, you're afraid, you know, now that you've been in this one car accident, you're afraid of another car accident happening. What would you do if that occurred? What are the skills that you have? What are the coping mechanisms that you have? What are the supports that you have? How could you handle it? If that were a reality, what could you do? At least that way there's a plan in place. The thing that is most threatening to people is the unknown, right? This is why we play the what-if game. What if this happens? What if that happens? What would I do if... As soon as something is no longer unknown, we have a solution, we have a game plan, it kind of takes some of the charge off of it. So by having a client play through situations that they're fearful of, reoccurring uh, traumas, and how they would handle it, what resources and skills they have can be a way of calming that what-if mind. And so that's number 12, exposure to threatening situations in hypnosis through their imagination. Number 13 is really dependent on if the client gives you anything here that you can work with. Uh, This is using healing imagery. So the subconscious is the creative mind. And sometimes the client will use an analogy or use imagery when they're talking to you. I feel like I'm underwater. I feel like I'm trapped in a box. I feel like I, you know, my hands and feet are tied. I can't move forward. When you work with the actual imagery that the client gives you, and you change that imagery or have them change the imagery, it changes how their mind processed that event. So if the event made them feel like their hands and feet are tied, and you have them actually imagine having something or somebody come in and help untie their hands and feet, it tells the subconscious, in a sense, to process that event differently. So if the client gives you healing imagery or gives you imagery and you can – or (laughs) – If the client gives you imagery or you can elicit imagery from them, then you can work with that imagery, change it to speak back to the subconscious. Now, there's also a correlation between uh, complex trauma and PTSD. So complex trauma. If you've had experiences in your life, this is typically childhood, your upbringing, the environment that you lived in, that left you feeling unsafe and unsupported, you're more likely to get PTSD if you have a life-threatening event. Some people go to war and don't get PTSD. Some people have car accidents or natural disasters and don't get PTSD. So it's not a given Uh, there is a predisposing uh, circumstance here. If somebody has already had the seed planted that the world is unsafe or bad things happen when a life-threatening event occurs, it deepens and makes more um, impactful that way of believing. So when there is complex trauma prior we may actually be working on the trauma that the person experienced aside from the PTSD event 
so that they're no longer predisposed to experience PTSD if a life-threatening event occurs. So in other words, if somebody comes in trying to grapple with the event that caused the PTSD, I may be looking for what has happened in your upbringing, in your background, what pivotal life experiences have you had that have essentially taught you that the world is unsafe or that you're incapable of handling what goes on in the world. Let's work through that because I can't guarantee somebody when they come in that nothing bad will ever happen again, right? Hopefully the uh, lightning only strikes once. However, I actually had a client who was hit by lightning twice. (laughs) Weird, hey? So we can't tell somebody, oh, you've had a bad thing happen. The odds are pretty slim it's ever going to happen again. It's not believable to that client. They already know bad stuff can happen. So I'm looking for, you know, can we um, undo any past trauma that has predisposed this person to being more inclined when a threatening event occurs to end up with PTSD? So if something happens in the future, uh, they're not left suffering the same way. So those are a number of things that we can do for somebody who has PTSD. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope these ideas are helpful to you. If you're interested in hypnotherapy training, I do offer a pretty advanced program. I was under the impression my program was pretty much the same as everybody else's programs, but having talked to a lot of hypnotherapists who are trained in other schools, I recognize now that it's not the case. So even if you've been trained, uh, I do offer hypnotherapy training both in person in Victoria and online. My next class in Victoria begins the end of this month, March 30th, 31st, and the next online program, which we do so you can see each other, hear each other, practice together. It's all done via Zoom. That one begins in May. So if you're interested in training, please get in touch with me, Linda Campbell at the Horizon Center School of Hypnotherapy. You can contact me through Blog Talk Radio. You can email me at info at yourauthenticself.ca or info at horizoncenterhypnotherapy.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Okay, take one. <laughs> with correction with Campbell. With Campbell. Campbell. The, the, okay. Get your black belt in all things hypnotherapy and never blend. <laughs>